And I forgot what number is it? 67? Shit. 127. Wow, Rob, you were on it! I was 40 episodes off! <laughs> I was like, I saw, you know, see that in my top line of my inbox. I don't have my email open, but I'm, I'm still gonna be impressed. I'm. Oh, maybe you should be worried that I was literally 40 off. I don't know where the 6 came from. Player 2 Pixelcast episode 127. I'm your host, Tim Henderson. I'm slowly losing the ability to count on a very simple basis. But that doesn't matter too much because I have the genius of math on the crew today. Rob, how you doing? Yeah, good. Uh, trying not to melt, but pretty good otherwise. I do love that, like, melting has just become the way we describe, like, really hot weather as if people would melt as opposed to, you know, crispify. <laughs> it's a little less morbid. <laughs> it's cuter. I will give you that. But like, let's be, let's be, we've been turning to crispy bacon first, mo- mo- most likely. Um. Anyway. Um. Speaking of like dealing with the heat, uh, Ken, you're here without a video feed. No, and without also without a shirt. So I'm glad there is no video feed. Also, I thought I thought your segue was going to be like speaking of like bacon. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I am your. Uh, there are so many ways I can get with that, and none of them are good. But yeah, Kenny's here. <laughs> Our loss is that this is there is no video feed. Sorry to all you ladies or gentlemen, for that matter. I guess. Um, but yeah, this episode, I guess, is in a large way could be a bit audio, but it's, it is actually technically mostly a celebration of looking at things and going, "Whoa!" I'm gonna kind of like look back some previous generations back to, you know, when it felt like we were getting a, like, a, almost a generational shift in, like, fidelity, like, what felt like basically annually. Um, which I'm quite looking forward to, because Rob says he's gonna pull out the obscure shit, and I feel like this is a really tough topic to get obscure with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's start with the proper obscure stuff. So, Rob, you're apparently playing, um, the the Twitter Rivals Aces demo on everything (laughs) Steam. Yeah, so I'm, I'm currently working a review for, for the site that I can't really talk about, still under embargo, so I just pulled some demos down from NextFest, and I had a bit of air combat stuff on the mind, you know, because last time I was playing Project Wigman, I've been playing some Ace Combat stuff. Uh, There's a lot of blue skies in your world, except yeah, in your so actual up, world, maybe. Yeah, the storms so... Um, there, but. <laughs> yeah, so Blue Sky Aces is a World War One air combat game. Um, It's... It's... The demo is, so this demo is pretty limited. There's like two training missions and five actual missions. You can be the Brits or the Germans. And sort of got that arcade sensibility. Go up in the air. You know, World War I players don't have throttle, so you just like just trying to keep it in the air, just gunning down planes. Like there was one mission where it was just a giant furball of just like lots of aircraft. And I don't have the highest end machine, and it yeah. just was, was really smooth. Oh, um, okay. It's a nice... Yeah, it was. It's not be smooth. Yeah, it's like there. It's written in Unity. It has some pretty simplistic 3D visuals. Like the the terrain is mostly flat shaded and stuff. And the, it's not like the kind of detail you get from the high end stuff, like um, DCS or whatever. And the flight model is pretty arcade. It took me it literally to be twenty seconds to think of freaking Ace Combat there, but yes, yeah. So it's not like really high fidelity, but it's really clear. One of the things I really like because of the more simplistic art style, 
everything was really clear to see at range. Um, and the game, like, because the game gives you a few guidances that aren't real, like a radar, and you have some HUD stuff to indicate where aircraft is, and you've got lead indicators that you can turn on. And I was just, like, I just had a lot of fun just flying and shooting stuff down. Um, I would definitely pick it up, the full release one, if it's cheap enough. Um, I was really impressed with what they did. It's just the fun sort of distraction thing. Like, the flight model was was simple, but enough that you could stall or whatever. You you had all, like, a bunch of gauges. You had to... The one conceit was that your gun has, you know, World War One planes, the gun... There weren't there wasn't a lot of gun ammo. Yeah. And so what they do here is you have, like, a magazine, and when it runs out, you have to wait, like, 10 seconds, and it reloads. There's a little countdown timer that sort of circles ah, so around your target. kind of video game it up there a bit. Yeah, video game it up a bit. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. It's not selling itself as a hardcore simulator, you know, being the modern equivalent of, like, Red Baron or whatever. But, yeah, it's something I had some fun with. Um, like I said, decent enough flight modeling. The big thing I'd want to see is what, like, the mission structure is. Because in the, the demo, there's, like, three planes, but you can only pick one on each side. So three on it for the Brits, three for the Germans. And there's only a couple of, like, single missions. I don't know if there's a bigger campaign to string it all together or you're just doing these missions. You get a score at the end and there's a high score table that's cloud-based. I don't know so what it's sort of like- that major like shareware apology vibes from like just the way you yeah. oh apology yes <laughs> yeah i i kind of i kind of feel like this would have been a shareware game back in the 90s for sure like just the way it's structured so i'm kind of like this, sorry I, I mean just just to add to those references this is something that would come on a pc gamer together with coconut monkey <laughs> those oh, yeah. fresh discs that they kind of had in the late 90s where like some dude's job was literally downloading demos on his 56 onto a disc yeah. And selling yep, yep. Or, yeah at a swap meet I remember grabbing many demos like that from, from people back in those days so yeah it, it has that vibe um, I'm really interested to see what happens with the full campaign because if they have a decent like campaign that you work your way through it probably be decent fun to play but yeah I was enjoying the demo of it from like, the hour or so I spent for today um, you know what I've been particularly int- uh, impressed with is um, this particular game just reminds me of something recently I played, which is called um, Battle Bit Remastered, okay. which is um, it's a first person like massive shooter, like it, on, on the scale of like Battlefield Three and Battlefield Four, but all the graphics are low, low poly count, like big blocky Minecraft esque graphics, but it's kind of like because the, you spend less time, I guess, for the designer, you, if you spend, I guess, a little bit less time and focus on the graphics, you can spend a bit more time around the gameplay. Um, and, and, and it's, it's just, it's, it's an interesting sort of take, um, where, like, you don't necessarily have to have mind bending, like, PC breaking graphics to be a good game and something that's fun and, and, this looks like it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it just looks. <clears throat> it's it's got it's it wears it's uh, it, it's very clever. It's it just looks very clever. Um, it looks fun to play, fun to fly. Well, I mean, and... most most PC gamers don't have a thirty or forty series GPU. Like the Steam hardware surveys is like was like the sixteen fifty or whatever the fuck is like the most common. Like, I've got a ten eighty on this machine, and like. It defaulted to running in a window and it didn't fiddle around. And I was just playing with an Xbox pad and it was great. I mean, I couldn't be bothered pulling my flight stick out. I don't know if it's got bindings for that, but on the Xbox pad, it was it was fine. It worked great. So, 
Yeah. Pretty much yeah. a really solid, just arcadey plus plus air combat game, um, which scratched a little itch. Which you've been having recently, I think. Yeah, yeah pretty Probably much. now our retro and like Skies guy. Um, but flying, I guess, <laughs> even like higher still, getting into the sky proper, Ken is becoming something of a heavy metal queen. Oh, yes. I'm getting uh, very I, deep with my Cowboy Bebop references at the moment. Yeah, I was going to say a very nice, very, very nice uh, Bebop reference there. Excellent. Um, and this is very heavy metal queen. If you if you think of that that particular sequence in the Bebop show where you've got big old space trucks, that's effectively the whole game. So I've been playing space truckers. Um, also a demo of the Steam Next Fest. I mean, I'm just the the whole Next Fest is really an excellent opportunity to check out like some really interesting games. Um, I think it's it's once a quarter now, isn't it? Or is it, pretty, is it? I feel like <clears throat> there's always like it, it they end and then like before I blink, there's another one starting up. Yeah, yeah. it used it used to be I think like half a year or maybe a year, but I think the last couple have have come fairly quickly. But each time it comes round, there's a whole bunch of new games and new demos. It's like oh, I wouldn't have thought to try it. Space truckers is very much like Euro Truck Simulator in space. Like, <laughs> sure. Like, Why you're not? piloting you're piloting a truck it, that has a lot of inertia, takes a lot to, um, to, to, you know, accelerate, takes a lot to decelerate. And imagine flying something with that much inertia through space where, yeah, six degrees of movement up down you know left right all that sort all, all that jazz i mean it's and go anywhere yeah 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 yeah. but <clears throat> it's a delivery game it's a pick up a job go somewhere time trial at least that's what's in the demo i don't know if there's anything else beyond the demo uh pick up a job pick some pick some cargo goods up deliver it within a specified amount of time and there's quite a lot of patience that you need in um loading your truck because that's not where I was expecting impatience but okay <laughs> no because what they're trying to do they're they're trying to um sort of stimulate um what driving a truck driving a cargo big haul long long body truck feels like in space so like i said lots of inertia but imagine like backing up and docking with a cargo with a cargo container Hmm. Um, and you've got left camera, you've got, <clears throat> you've got within your console, you're, you're doing this in first person. Uh, you've got your cameras on the left and right that you can look at to the back. You've got a camera that looks, um, rear and to the bottom of the truck. You've got, um, you can change your console to show you different bits of information, like how much fuel you've got, how much power you've got. Um, you've got to manage your ship sort of status and ship there's a lot of ship management um backing Sounds up like obscenely fiddly parking simulator maybe <laughs> like i said euro euro truck simulator if you think euro truck simulator where you're like just like going down the highway and you're making lots and lots and lots of reverse parking left and right it's this is it like if you like euro truck simulator and you're thinking i wonder what this would feel like in space this is absolutely it um, and it's really 
Sorry? But so they'd have to compress... Because when you said, like, a lot of patience is... Because we all have the, like, those images of, you know, the solar system that we get in our classroom textbooks. Yeah, yeah, That yeah. are just absurdly compressed. And, like, our, our idea of how far planets are away from each other is just completely distorted. Oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. In a way. Yeah. And but- like, if they realistically tried to, like, simulate the diff- distance between even the Earth oh, and God. Mars. <laughs> no, but they're probably not that. Compressed, yes. But I think the bits that I've enjoyed so far is, like, navigating this big ship into very tight spaces. Lining up the back of your truck as you're trying to dock with the space station and you've got your camera that's facing backwards and you've got a reticle and all you're trying to do is just line the docking rings and the camera and the docking rings together up, down, left, right and your your, your vehicle, your truck is sort of drifting to the left and you're like, no, 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 correct and you drift a little bit to the left and a bit to the right and it's not high enough or the angle is wrong <laughs> oh, and it's super, for some reason, it's just really high tension. It's like I'm trying to get you sound Thread. really enthusiastic right now, Ken, and I'm just imagining myself just screaming and like ripping my mouse out of the socket. <laughs> yeah, look, it's 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 a cute little thing, and then you can turn on, you turn on the radio station, and for sure they're playing some hillbilly like country music, like it's <laughs> definitely vi- definitely I, good. Some acts of violence towards my computer going to be happening. Look, it's it's very much a vibe. Like this game is all about vibes. And if you ever want to be like, yeah, space trucker, this is very much that vibe. So no, it's 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 enjoyable. It's really quite clever. Um, I don't know how much the game will be when it is launched fully. Um, but the the the, the demo I've played so far has been really quite interesting. And this this really hmm. has been the. This, well, it's because Huso like reviewed both Tekken and, and like a dragon, and he's like not here. I guess because um, yeah, I, I guess I kind of stepped in, and for what little free time I've managed, kind of took the big one, I guess, as far as demos go. Although I still haven't finished it, which is to say, you know, they kind of dropped that Final Fantasy VII Rebirth demo um, several days ago now, and. Try as I might, I've managed about 90 minutes so far, according to my save file. Um, nice of them to allow save files, and I'm a bit curious as to if that's going to have any um, focus, because I know I've done a... Actually, it's probably just the lack of time to like check in on it all. I've done a pretty good job by accident, not so much as effort, of like avoiding a lot of the coverage that's been going around here, because it had its own entire state of play, which I have not watched at all. Like, I saw a blip saying there's a demo available, and this did not help my case with getting this demo played, was I then went into the normally pretty, kind of heavy on the phone, but, like, it normally works, PlayStation app, and, like, told my PS5 to download that demo so I could play it with a little bit of free time I'd have when I get home, which it did not do. Mm. First time it's ever not worked, it normally (laughs) That was really... (laughs) So, like, I went, I was like, okay, I've done everything I need to do in the house, I've got a little bit of free time to myself, I'm going to play this. 0% 0% downloaded. Alright, mm. never mind. That's not happening tonight. My internet connection is probably better than the average Australian one. Still, just a demo. It was like 40 gigs or something, I think. It's like, it's, it's not, it's not going to come down in the next 20 minutes, is basically. Yeah, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's big. I can't remember the exact number, but it was like, oh wow. Remember when people were losing their shit over that Heavenly Sword demo for PS3 that was like 1.2 or maybe even under a gigabyte? <laughs> 
we've we've come away with file sizes. Um, yeah, the game big and hard drives are getting smaller, but faster. Which oh yeah. So yeah, I've managed to avoid like all of the discourse around this. I kind of like got to go into um, pretty pure. Um. So yeah, I'm curious about this save thing because I know like remake the first part of the remake of Square's naming convention has been a little bit confusing I guess now I really, really thought it was going to be remake part 1, 2, 3 but of course you know they're going to put that the next one is also going to be re, re something because um, you start it's basically a flashback to it's going to be very hard to talk about without being spoilery and there's a whole bunch of people now who probably weren't even born when Final Fantasy 7 came out and who would be old enough to be interested in this well, I mean, you don't. I don't. You probably don't need to. Is it? Yeah. Is it Final Fantasy? Is it FF Seven? Is it like yeah, it is. more of the same? I guess not or? exactly. Uh, I'm trying to get into the. I'm just trying to get in this place of like I don't know how much game there is before the demo actually takes place. Hmm. So you're telling a flashback of um, kind of your time. Cloud is telling a flashback of his time working with Sephiroth, who is established as more or less going to be the main villain at the end of the previous game. Um, in a town called Calm. And the question is, like, how much... The thing that got me was because, like, you go through a little bit of gameplay and then, like, you have this, like, long shot of, like, this big scenery, at which point it starts to look gorgeous. The, the visuals in this, like, the previous one, like, have moments where they're absolutely stunning. And then when, like, it's, like that texture quality could be a little bit higher, even though this is a PS5 exclusive, I guess, when you're making games this big, at some point something just has to give. Mm. Um, but they have, like, that point where you're, like, going through there and, like, they kind of do, like, the splash credits, like, the opening sequence, and I'm like... Huh, because the first game ends with you leaving Midgar, leaving the main city, and I know that like you have to get to the town that you're telling the story from, and there's like a whole bit of gameplay there, and it seems very strange to just jump straight to this town in the second game, because then you, you're going to be having flashbacks on flashbacks on flashbacks, because you also would still have to explain to the players how you ended up in that town in the first place, because that information is not provided unless you have played the original 1997 PS1 game. So in the demo, yes. um, <clears throat> is the battle system the same, or have you have you done battles yet? Is the quite there's like quite a few battles, um, and it seems so. F- I mean, I've actually played remake twice. I played it once when it came. It's out. just, I, I guess, my question. I think my ultimate question is because this is you know, quote unquote, the the second game in the remake series, mm. right? Are they treating it as like literally just? disc two of the same game or is this like a whole have they taken even more to refine it from the first remake yes and like like, i I would expect that some of the things because it was not changes so like small changes i may not even notice would be one of those things where i'm probably going to go back and be like oh this is missing or that doesn't seem quite as um the main the main i really 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 liked the combat in the original i had like one beef with it which is hard to deter from this demo which is like that um enemy AI would all just disproportionately focus on whichever character you were controlling at any given time and the other party members mm. are just kind of like off in La La Land mm. um, and this has been fleshed out where you're fighting alongside Sephiroth which was just a very 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 brief slice in the original game is like one battle and like Sephiroth like just 9999 whatever damage kills the thing immediately whereas this is actually way way um, 
way more fleshed out. Like it's not just a pit stop and a train ride, which I believe it was in the original. It's like you're yep. visiting your old hometown where also Tifa lived. Um, there is a you can still visit a house. I remember this from the original game. You can say you played the piano, and you know how a lot of people like lost a shit time, shit ton of time, like just improvising with a guitar in The Last of Us Two. Mm. That is going to be fucking nothing compared to this game. Because I've done a vet, like a probably a really in depth. I imagine the difficulty can probably be tweaked. Um, Two stick piano music of playing classic Final Fantasy VII themes <laughs> at the piano. With I because I just wanted to get through it. I stopped, but I people are going to play this a lot. Mm-hmm. People are going to be stopping at pianos in this game. Yeah. So so effectively, then for anybody wanting to get into the remake series with mm. Remake and Rebirth. Like, Rebirth is very much, I guess, part two. It definitely assumes As opposed to... It, yeah, it's assuming that you've played part one. It's not like a standalone. Um, definitely from the demo, like, not... Like, they're even, like... I think they're skipping out, like, the, even the beginning of the game by itself. I, it's Obviously, without playing the full thing, it was... If that, are they going to try and do it again up until now? Or it'd be, it's just, it just strikes me as funny as if Christmas comes around and you know the, the always the this hypothetical situation of the grandparent buying a game for the kids. Like, oh my 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 kid wants the Final Fantasy VII game, and oh, this is the newest one. I, sure, and then the kid's like, yeah, never I, played. De- I would say if you can, you probably are still going to want to have played. Rebirth. I would uh, be remake. surprised if like remake remake is probably available very very cheap now. Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no but you get what I mean like that yeah. whole like your the the assumption here with rebirth is that you have engaged it's definitely. With it's also weird because like save data I think they have said definitely won't carry over yeah. and um oh. well, it makes it easier for me because I don't want to have to buy a US copy again which is what my previous one was and I. Yeah, because oh, also like in the first game, like your traditional Final Fantasy um progress of like power, let's say, is you know you have your fire spell and it becomes fire and then fire ago, and this yep. is like level one, two, three of this spell is like more powerful as you go, so everything just kind of scales up and is an even even difficulty curve. Um, I mean you go through that full scale in re- remake. So, like, this is a chance for them to kind of, like, reset all of... Because I was wondering what they're going to do about that, and all they've done is, like, gone and just reset everything back to zero there. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Essentially, that also... Was the... one of... I was going to say, that was one of the things I've been wondering uh, about was how they're going to... If it's, like, you know, chapter two of this big story, of, you know, this game split up into these three chapters, these three parts, what, what they were going to do about that. And for them to go and reset your like your levels of progress feels really weird to me, but it might. I, yeah, I, I should probably pause and see like what level my character is listed at. But again, like it doesn't matter. Like if your save data doesn't carry over, then it's all really just smoke and mirrors. It's just like yeah. your character is going to be relative to the enemies starting at the same point, regardless. Although big numbers are impressive as like a thing I noticed when I played a, um, let's say a couple of, um, Skies of Arcadia and Grandia 2 on Dreamcast in Final Fantasy 7 and I think in the franchise in general like at the start of the game you're doing like 220 damage per sword swipe and then you go play another JRPG and you're doing 5 so <laughs> like at the end of the day you can just add zeros to places and like it's still the same shit it just looks bigger yeah <laughs> so yeah 
definitely hope this is fixed, but like one thing I definitely noticed and I went in and checked is you can set the voices to Japanese in this game, but it boy, does it still play them in English when you're actually in there, which is going to be a big beef for me because I've had this discussion with Hugh a few times where like he finds Barrett like just really, really annoying. He's like angry all the time. And I played, he was playing it in English, I was playing it in Japanese. And definitely there is a nuanced listening, listening? Missing to like some of that performance that is lost in the English. Um, also like characters like Sephiroth just doesn't, mesh well with how like an English voice voicing because he's quite effeminate incredibly powerful effeminate and boy did did they not want to cast a voice that would like fit his appearance they want him to sound a little bit tough (laughs) and it's like it's very hard to cast that in English properly and to be fair the voice acting has mostly been fine but especially with Barrett like I've said this a few times um his character is like the Japanese voice actor he sounds a little bit older and he, while he sounds always angry, there is an undertone of just exhaustion that is missing in the English one. And that exhaustion, like, really is like, you, like, he, it's like, I'm fighting for this all. I'm so fucking tired, but the planet is still going to die, so I've got to keep on doing, but my God, I'm tired, where he's just kind of angry um, in the English video. Um, also, hilariously, um, if anybody remembers Resident Evil 4 remake and the controversy with the yellow paint... Because, like, all the breakable barrels and shit, like, had yellow paint on them, which... There are probably ways around it, but, like, game design can be hard, and, like, that was a very effective way to, like, message to players, okay, this is an interactable, destructible thing, whereas this may not be. Um, you've got... In the demo, at least, like, they, I don't know if it gets fleshed out later, otherwise it is kind of silly in this case. Like, light, uncharted light climbing sections... And it's just straight up just yellow paint on all of the handholds. Which seems a bit more frivolous to me, because, like, just be, like, a little bit loose with the controls. Like, it's just a kind of scripted sequence where you're going up, 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 up. You, It would still work. It just looks kind of silly. But whatever, I wasn't there to playtest it, so who knows? Maybe, maybe like, some people were still, like, just kind of confused about which way that was supposed to be. Hmm. Whatever, no. I will definitely... I don't know if I can justify buying it at launch, but I will definitely be playing this game this year. <laughs> Regardless, it seems like they've definitely done not fucked it up. Super impressed with that piano going around clouds town like that was um really nice. I think some people are going to have a little issue with the visuals. Like it, it, and I, the previous game had the same thing where like it oscillates between like really spectacular and just like workman like enough. Hmm. But, you know, for the longest time, Square Square Enix was saying that, like, this remake cannot happen because a game of that scale with the way we make modern games is just not a reasonable, plausible thing to do. And they turned this around yeah. in four years. And that's something we're going to get, get going to get to in the topic, I guess. But four years, especially for a company that's been, you know, as poorly run as Square seems to be. <laughs> <laughs> but for any modern game development, it's actually pretty friggin' impressive. Yeah. Four years at AAA, like, yeah, that's that's definitely an accomplishment. Like, that's, um, that's nuts. Like, this thing is going to be out in a couple of weeks, by the at least going by our, um, our upload date. Mm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly impressed. I get, I'm going to just assume that, like, most people have been, and also that most people have been playing the piano a lot, because, like, I don't know, the music's really good. I forget, like, how, like, there are a lot, there's a lot of iconic music in Final Fantasy VII, you forget, like, part of what made it iconic is, like, it just suits the mood. Like, they re- 
Uematsu really fucking nailed that soundtrack back in 1997 and they've done a pretty good job. They did last time as well and they've done a good job again of like just making it sound a little bit a little bit newer, a little bit shinier. So yeah. I'd recommend playing it. It's a demo. It's free. If you have but that said, if you have any interest in doing so, you probably already have. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, speaking of like new and shiny and wow factor, that I guess that's what we're gonna be talking about as soon as we um get back from get back from our short little break. We're back, and although I did not talk about it during the currently playing, because you know, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is much more pertinent, I have before that came out when I had a little bit more time. I have in the background been slowly slogging my way through the Greek Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which, aside from the whole you cannot assassinate a person if you're not the right level, kind of undermining the entire philosophy of what that should be problem. It's actually still a pretty good time, although playing it backward compatible on PS5, a feature that all consoles should have going forward, note that it has, I believe, been patched because it seems to be running, like there's no option menu, I think it's just running at 60. But I did have a moment where I was like, this definitely looks like a PS4 ass game. And we, <laughs> which means... Effectively, that we just kind of quietly waded into next gen. Like, I guess yeah. the PS5 came out and Demon Souls looked really good and Ratchet looked really good, but like, we just kind of slipped. Overall, though, it really feels like we just kind of slipped in there. Like, there was no yeah. point, no huge, just, whoa, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. It just. It's like incident, incidental graphic card upgrades just kind of like happened over the last three years. Which has led me, which is basically what led me to our current topic, which is kind of looking back to when generational shifts were motherfucking generational shifts, even when generations were shorter, which they yeah. were. Like, they need honestly. This generation, I've been coming to the realization that, like, so the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X existed because 4K TVs are starting to become the norm and to fit in that. I kind of think these things need to happen again. At first, I thought this this is just silly. It shouldn't happen again. But now I'm like, just to get this generation long enough for it to be worthwhile, the developers developing mm. for it, to get it to 10 years, which I think maybe needs to happen, then maybe a mid-console refresh makes sense. I, yeah. I, I, I expect we're going to see those bumps, like, next year, the year after, at the earliest. People I, are speculating a PS5 Pro this year, which seems a little early, but... 
Yeah, to me, like maybe announced this year, but coming out next year. That the timeline probably... would match up with the PS4, but like with the speed that the software is going on, it seems like no, because PS4 was what 2013, and the Pro was 2016. Because I ordered a, a Pro day one. Pro was um, Pro was mid 2016. The console came out late. Oh yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Because I ordered I ordered my Pro late 2016. Yeah, so it was a few months in. Yeah. Damn. So it. I think it will. I, I think it will and should be more delayed. But yeah, the plausibility of it happening is wilder to me. Anyway, that's that's a whole separate thing. What I really want to get back is just remembering those moments where you just saw shit and like it felt like it happened. I mean, it. I wonder what it's like for younger generations now. Like it's just like everything looks good and everything's a choice. Or like do they? Because you experience time differently when you're younger as well. So half a year feels a lot longer when you're at fifteen than it does when you're thirty-five or whatever. Yeah, um, but it definitely even with. Even with the time dilation or fucking whatever happening as we get older, it definitely felt like you were getting war moments way more frequently when you're like back in the days where you're like some floppy haired school kid buying magazines every month. Yeah. And yeah, and yeah, Rob, I am going to have to throw this to you as like one of your first war moments because you said you're going to bring the obscure. And last episode was made for it. <laughs> this episode seems like there are key titles that like everybody would be agreeing on so I want to know this this thing that I've okay. never heard of that kind of made your eyes bug out okay so when I put my list together I sort of reflected on when I encountered games um, back in the past and the first moment for me that made my jaw drop was the release of a game called Stunt Car Racer which is by the legendary Jeff Crammond uh, and he's not and he's not connected to stunts. So yeah, stunt car oh racer man, is, I've got my own story about this, McDougal going. Yeah, so the thing with Stunt Car Racer is it's a racing game where you're on tracks that are high above the ground. And these tracks, there's eight of them, there's like divisions of difficulty, and it's very much about like making sure your speed is right because if you mess up a jump, you'll go flying off the track, hit the ground, and basically crash out. Um, So at the time, I first saw this game on my cousin's Amiga. So... At this point, I knew you were playing because I think this was an no. era where that was an important thing. Yeah, so this is Stunt Car Race was eighty nine, so this would have been nineteen ninety. So I played on my cousin's Amiga, and then I found out there was a Commodore sixty four version, which I learned much later that that was the original version. Mm-hmm. And this Commodore sixty four and three D graphics did not go well together because this was a you know slow home computer. There's a lot of technical reasons why it wasn't a machine good for three D. Well, also, it was the nineteen eighties, just in general. Yeah. And that, like, basically the, the machine was, you know, 8-bit hardware was really primitive. Some computers could do it better than others. The CC4 wasn't great. And so I remember getting a hold of it and playing it, and the graphics were like, it's all wireframe 3D. So that's, you know, you see the, the outside lines of the object, but it's not filled. It's sort of filled in, but it's not it's, quite. It's like to imagine, like, when you learn to draw a cube for the first time in, like, the third grade or whatever. And you kind of like draw the cube behind the square behind the other square, and you can see all the pieces. Yeah, that's what it looked like, except bright green in game. Yeah, uh, there's more black, white, brown, blue. Um, so I played it on the C64. Got visited my cousin, got a hold of it, went home, played it. And it's like this was actually playable. It's it's the frame rate probably is is, is less than ten frames a second. And nowadays, if you're looking at it, you probably go, "What? What?" But it, to me, like nine years oh, old, that man. was just mind blowing. Uh, just seeing this, this, you know, these tracks, the undulations. Every now and then, like Digital Foundry will refer to like 
what a frame rate for 3D would be acceptable in the 90s. And it's like, you guys yeah. don't understand. You can at least expect even the worst games to be above 15. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I remember I did a video because some hackers made a port to another machine like a few years ago. And I remember doing a doing my own frame rate comparison between the C64 version and this other version. It's just like, oh, yeah. Just subtly, subtle differences. But for like seeing this at the time, it was just, it was groundbreaking to me because I only played one other game in 3D before and that game was terrible in terms of the performance. It was like seconds per frame. This was frames per second. And that was just, it just blew my my mind to see yeah. this to see this happening on on this machine at the at the time because the scale of that leap would actually just be like massive like a running yeah. property it's, it's it's chugging but it's not a we would joke that it's a slideshow but it's not a literal slideshow which is what you get yeah. from yeah that's that's very much the the jump um so that's my first one all right you did manage to keep it a little bit obscure this is not the game i was thinking of <laughs> like there's a trend of like just stunt racer stunt cars stunt whatever little yeah these early 90s um i think they're all influenced it's most of them were influenced by um hard the hard drive and arcade game which had that stunt track with yeah. the loop and jumps and Probably. stuff but basically yeah the, the story that boys well, still i feel like i come up every year is like stunts was called 4d sports racing outside of the united states i think it was australian europe at least so yeah the, the copy we had in our first pc was pirated from my father's office at the time and he didn't want to have pirated software on there, but we couldn't find the game anywhere because we thought it was called Stunts. Yep. So we kept on buying, like, these these other games of, like, Simulation, and none of them were nearly as good. Um, <laughs> I think we eventually managed to just convince him to put it back on there. It's just like, we're not actually... You spent so much money on other games trying to not pirate this. Just It's their own stupid... F- years and years later, I learned that it was called Body Sports Racing. Anyway, Ken... Yeah. Um, I think, like, one of the major generational shifts for me was always when we moved from the cartridge-based consoles to CD-based. Um, PlayStation. Yeah, just to the PlayStation. Like, PlayStation, Sega, Saturn was, in my mind, one of the biggest leaps. Um... It's just retroactively one of the fascinating... It's, yeah, I know exactly what you well, mean, but retroactively <clears throat> looking back at it, it's kind of funny that we all thought that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I know. I know what you mean, but if you think about, like, what was the best... Like, late-stage Super Nintendo, like, 3D was still, what? Star Fox and Vector Man. Um, it's... <clears throat> and maybe a couple other yeah, handful. You, you had other a lot things. of pre-rendered 3D side scrollers. Pre-rendered well. 3D, Donkey yeah. Punch, it was the big one. The Toy Story game but I'm, and the I'm, Mega Drive I'm, in the yeah. had a similar. Yeah, I guess a little bit, but it's still ultimately kind of just pre-rendered. But it's on a on a 2D game, right? But when and I always I've I've mentioned this a few times before on the show on this podcast. But Battle Arena Toshinden. This is, yeah, what I was waiting for. <laughs> Just, like, at that point, I think Virtual Fighter was out, but out in the arcades. Oh, the Saturn one um, come out first. I think it's just what... The but I don't know if the Virtual... Fighter. Yeah, but I wasn't sure if Virtual Fighter was on the Saturn yet. It was a launch title, I believe, so... Probably. Was it? Virtual Fighter yeah. would have been, yeah. It's basically that and Daytona and nothing else, I think, so. 
but the um yeah but, but battle arena just, it's just like you've got 3d polygon fighters set up arena weapons jumping cameras panning left and right um you know in hindsight looking back now it's like ooh this looks really basic but um at that point I'm like, I remember just being wowed by oh yeah I this is why I say like I know exactly what you mean I think you've chosen your genre interestingly as well because again we basically like the type of 3D that Robbie's talking about stay like we got better versions of it but it kind of stayed like that for a very long time mm. and then the Saturn and specifically the PS1 came yeah. about and like and going, introduced what it went from to what it went to was significant yeah and actually being on a 3D plane as opposed to being just flat um yeah it was just battle arena was was, was my jam and 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 um yeah, that that for me was like, oh, this is a new generation. It's beyond the Atari, uh, was it? No, the Jaguar 64, the 3DO, the Jaguar. I'm like, oh, those were stinkers. And then, and then the attempts at making a 32 bit and a 64 bit. It's like, oh, just double the number of bits, guys. It's better. <laughs> I mean, I still was buying into that logic at that time. I think it it's got eight bit. And then it's 16-bit, so obviously 32X. Obviously the 32X was going to make everything better. And obviously well, the, uh, the Jaguar. The 32X was definitely better than the base Mega Drive. The problem is nobody but, bought one, therefore no games got made, therefore... Yeah. There was that period of time. That That's what I meant, like that transition, that early yeah, 90s Sega period. really made it awkward. Mm. Yeah. I think that's what, you know... In an alternate timeline, the 32X would have was Just, pretty impressive when you look when you look at stuff on it, but it never it has a pickup. It's a dumb idea. It, like they really should have put all hands on deck on the Saturn. Yeah, absolutely. We all like, know and, how that and, eventually paid out. Yeah, there's there's all that documentation that's come out in the last couple of years about what happened behind the scenes, even more that highlights that. But yeah, like that that leap going from predominantly 2D machines to proper 3D is like. Like, everything that was touched by that, like, benefited. Yeah, it was um, super weird, because I didn't... I, I wasn't plugged in enough to know that the PlayStation was coming out, or even that the Saturn was coming out. Um, yeah. So, like, like at, so I, my, my memory is, I think, a Kmart stall with maybe even Tekken 2 in it. And just looking at it and going, what is this? Yeah. Like, I remember um, it was seeing... It was seeing... PC magazines start talking about like the ports that are being done to PC. Like I bought, I remember playing a few early PlayStation games as PC ports. Like Toshinden, I played on PC, and that was all software. It was before PC started getting three D cards. Well, that's gonna, that's going to be part of our discussion very soon. Yeah, <laughs> that is. Yeah, that's definitely definitely a thing. It's sort of an era I didn't put in my list. Um, because I was just thinking of the direct impacts. Because I came late to having an accelerated PC, so the jumps well, were a lot of were mine. Really weird. A lot of mine were like lusting after stuff that my parents wouldn't buy for me. Yeah, I guess fair enough. They probably had more important things to spend money on than me wanting overpriced game hardware. Yeah, 
I mean, that, that was definitely that was definitely my experience too for a while. But yeah, the the P- the Saturn PS One, I think it was like that big when like Polygon started to really get textured, and like mm. you could see how good they looked in still screenshots again. Like just like a lot of the early three D, I thought looked really blur. If I just saw like screenshots in magazines, even actually even Doom is a weird because that was going back to my dad's office again. I remember like all the PC, like, even, like, not gaming magazines, just, like, the PC magazine that he would subscribe to, and then I would steal and read, like, the four pages dedicated to games over and over and over again. Um, and all this fuss about this Doom, and I'd look at the screenshots and be like, eh, it doesn't look, it doesn't look that good. And then, like, just, I remember this, like, maybe sort of, like, ten seconds, like, somebody in his office was playing it when we were visiting over Christmas, and just being like, what? Like, this in motion, all of a sudden, it looks way different. Yeah. And I'm sure there were plenty of times I, I remember bumping into computer shops and stuff, seeing you know Doom and whatnot being demoed, you know, just running on the on the demo loops. Just seeing it running was a big difference to screenshots, and that's something we like go up and down. Like it's a weird generational slide where sometimes like the screenshots make a meaningful difference again, and then like we're back to it. Like it has to be has to be um, in motion, and like YouTube compression is now maybe part of the issue. Yeah, I've definitely seen that come up a lot when when those discussions are in place or, or streaming compression as well, just in general. Yeah. Right. On that, on that note, Rob, do you want to like, do we actually, do you want to like spend a um, small moment, like wallowing, wallowing's the wrong word. Yeah. Um, getting back into the idea of like, cause the 3d accelerated card was a huge, like it's just part of the discourse now. It's like how much of the next NVIDIA or HD yeah. card is going to cost. But fucking 3D effects, man. The first time you saw that shit. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember seeing, like, the screenshots of it was, I think it was Tomb, it was the original Tomb Raider or it was GL Quake. Were For big... me, it was, it was seeing screenshots of Quake and, like, the colors just blended together. Like, that, that was the yeah. only difference as far as, like, I could the, tell you. The but... water. Because the big, the big thing was the water was just much, much more impressive than it was in software. Because I think it actually had like the, it had actual transparency in there, which you didn't get. Memory serves you didn't get in software rendered Quake with the water. Like that was the big step. Like the texture filtering, the texture filtering didn't was really a, was a huge jump. It was a big jump. I remember for me that was just like a huge fucking ass thing. It was like, oh, there's no pixelation anymore, and hmm. also it doesn't look blurry like Nintendo sixty four did. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and of course it was running four times the resolution because, you know, PC accelerated at that point was 640 by 480, whereas PlayStation's, Saturn's, and N64's were effectively 320 by, by 240. They would like, get up there to 480. Some get Late in yeah, this was some tough, but yeah, mostly it was half that resolution. Yeah, so that was the big jump because then you just got this bigger, like this more impressive view, a little more detail, and, and yeah, and just watching that. And of course, you know, you'd see... Like, I remember being behind and having a, a decent machine when I'd upgraded. And, but without 3D acceleration, it was just way off the scale. And then, then just watching those cards come down. And it was, or then you'd get like, you know, you got the, the, the scale from like the 3D effect, the, the Voodoo 1, the Voodoo 2, and the, the, you know, the Banshee and all of that. And then it's like the original Nvidia card, or well, not the original, because the original was, but the, the TNT. That's and then what the I GeForce Jump. Yeah. Yeah, the that's the the, the the TNT was the card that put them on the map because it was like their third card before that. Oh well, yeah, it's the um, one I remember. Like, yeah, that's that? that's what. 
yeah, that's the one I put NVIDIA on the map. And then they, you know, introduced the tech, the, the TNL, Transformer Lighting Hardware, on the, the original GeForce. And then there was the, the Pixel the pixel Shaders on the GeForce 3. And just you also that, point and then, out that the names of these cards have always been incredibly dumb, which makes it very hard to, like, <laughs> go back and talk about them. Yeah. Because it's just, oh. like, what they think of cool-sounding letters and numbers. Yeah, it's... Yeah. In hindsight, it's, it's, Voodoo 1 and Voodoo 2 was, like, nice and simple, and maybe we could have just... Yeah. And then, of course, you know, don't forget the last Voodoo cards that 3DFX did. The Voodoo 4 and the Voodoo 5. I the think they got time. up to 5, actually. Oh, they yeah. came out together? They came out basically at the same time. The last cards were like, the Voodoo 4 was the low end, and then the Voodoo 5 was the high end. And the Voodoo 5 was, like, the first graphics card that you had to plug external power into. Voodoo Volts. <laughs> I don't sure. believe I still remember that. I don't um, remember. I, I was not plugged in enough to the PC scene at the time. <laughs> yeah, that would have been like 2001, 2002. It's just like, and then, but that point, the GeForce, the G, the original GeForce completely smoked them. And then 3DFX were not long for this world, basically. Yeah, at that, was that, point. A, that was a fast moving story. Like they seemed it invincible was. for a couple of years. But again, that, yeah. that's how fast this shit moved back then. That's exactly it. It was just every everyone doing it. And then like, NVIDIA caught up and ATI mostly caught up as well. And at that point, it was just like, yeah. And, you know, and then we've basically just got the, the double duopoly we do now between NVIDIA and AMD. And with Intel somehow, even Intel struggling to, like, make a dent. Yeah. Like, like, they always tried. Like, they've always tried at various points to try and, like, think they can make better 3D hardware. And they just, I feel they like always seem to just try and stumble. Apparently the R cards got really good, but it's the the there's like the early access curse almost where like by the time <laughs> it was figured out like nobody was left anymore. Yeah. No, but so yeah, I mean obviously the Quake and Quake Two like the 3D effects stuff. Just for me, like the big one was actually Unreal because an extended demo of it came with a Voodoo Banshee card. Oh, nice! And like that flyby, that castle flyby, that opening like, scene. Like again, it's one of those. Oh, the screenshots did not do this justice because I remember Hyper yeah. like just raving about how this game just looked unreal. I mean, called unreal. <laughs> that was an un- yeah. unintentional pun. But when because the you know they basically had like the reflective fake fake reflections, like just two textures yeah. over the top of each other, like one semi-transparent. And if you're not seeing that shit in the late nineties at that point, you're like, holy hell, man! This just looks so good. Oh, oh yeah, unreal. Even the unreal. banshee was not quite up to the task of running that at a steady frame rate all the time necessarily. Yep. <laughs> you know, one thing that's always sort of um, charmed me, I guess, of that era of graphics cards and things, mm. is the tech demo of those graphics cards. Like, there's always a dinosaur one, and oh, some dude, type of we like, skipped the best part of the PlayStation now. <laughs> <laughs> all those like the glowy metal ball that's bouncing above the screen as it changes from like metallic reflections to colors and then back to metallic again um and <clears throat> the graphics never just i guess never quite looking exactly like that but you know it, it's just i just it, well you can it, do these... that when you don't have to design a game around it and you have a bunch of people yeah. really plugging yeah, in hardware but some it of these things are Oh yeah, but some of these things are like sense memories for me almost. Yeah, it's like 3D Mark is another one. Oh it's, yes, like just when you when you're just watching that benchmark and it's like your machine's not going to produce the magic number anywhere near as well as you know you would love. 
and you're seeing these like highly detailed things chugging about, and then you eventually upgrade, and it's like, oh, my machine is just running it even, running it better, and it's actually kind of smooth. It's still a higher number, but still not the magic, the magic high numbers. Yeah, I, I still I get back into I don't know, maybe this is where I, the way I grew up, but like I, I still measure this mostly by like console developments. Um, weirdly, mm. the sixty four was like this weird misfire. Like I, like every like even then, like the blurriness like bothered me. And I, I was mm. looking it up. This is this is this is what's so wild to me about gen- when I'm talking about like how we kind of stumbled into like the PS five Xbox Series generation is. The Nintendo 64 came out originally in June 1996. The Dreamcast came out in November 1998. Think about the fucking jump that was happening, like, every two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. Like, imagine anything on the PlayStation or 64 and then just, for the West at least, launch title Soul Calibur. Yeah. Which is weird because I, I feel like fighting games like are frequently like this barometer. Early yeah, they, they were for a while because then the PS2 came along with like Tekken Tag with like all the extra fidelity on the muscles and this plasticky skin, which was impressive at the time. Yeah, then not long after that, of course, Soul Calibur Two seemed to be Namco leading this. Fight. <laughs> even for the even for the Xbox, as much as like Halo was the game that sold that machine, if you really wanted to show it off, it was Dead or Alive Three. Yeah. And then Dead or Alive 4, actually, for the 360, was probably, again, the, launch, the, the game that you really would have been like, this is what this hard... And I guess that's because you're looking at mostly, like, two very high-detailed character models. Yeah, there's there's not, you know, having to render an expansive world, you've got to fill a confined space. Yeah, a fight space to fill, not a whole fucking um, world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because like one of the other ones that for me was a big generational leap around that time was Rogue Leader on the GameCube. Because I remember yeah, going I remember into that. Like that's oh. still. But what's yes. what's what's nuts is that is still one of the best looking games on that machine, and that was a launch game. Like I remember going to like Kmart or Meyer or whatever and seeing the GameCube kiosk and playing it, and it's like, this is like being in Star Wars. It's like they really figured out what worked and didn't work in that hardware immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately, and it's like it's European black magic because that's basically Factor Five for you, and um, yeah, and it's just like it peaked at that point, and yeah, like GameCube was weird like that. It didn't. So there's like a part of the thing that when I wasn't even idea of the idea aware of the idea of generations until I started buying Hyper at the very end of the PS One era, and I remember them talking about. Tekken 3 maybe being the start of the third generation of PlayStation 1 software. Mm. I had no idea what that was. And, it, and you can actually kind of see... I mean, it's, the, the lines between them are like a bit blurry and vague, but you can kind of tell, like, first, mid, and late generation games on that machine. The cube is kind of strange like that. I feel like even the Dreamcast, although it fizzled out pretty fast, and the PS2, you can, you can see that progress. Yeah. Like... You had your launch PS2 titles, which, my gosh, Jackie's a hoy. A lot of the Dreamcast stuff still looked better, frankly. And then you got, like, Metal Gear Solid 2. Yeah. Like, I remember I remember getting a copy of that E3 trailer from a mate for Metal Gear Solid that 2. That trailer, like, dude. Yeah. 
that's that to me was like that to me because I missed like because I was mainly PC gaming. I sort of missed the Dreamcast stuff completely. Like none of my friends had them. If they had consoles, it was PlayStations. I think I was um, one of three people in Australia who bought that machine, so that's probably <laughs> yeah. Um, so I sort of missed a lot of that. So I didn't see a lot of the the stuff that really pushed it. So for me, that that big leap was like was Metal Gear Solid Two, and it's just like. I mean, that yeah. look, that make fun of like the length of Kojima trailers, and that was maybe the like start of the length of the Kojima trailers. Yeah, but that fucking trailer, man! Like, yeah, it just set it up so like, well. The weird thing is, like, the rain in that game still looks incredible. Like, it still looks better than rain in a lot of games. Circa twenty twenty three, twenty four. Yeah, I think it's just like one of the one of the things is where they just tailored it straight for that hardware, and they could. They could get away off doing that. Whereas these days, that feels so much harder because of the budgets of development. You've got to, like, you know, at the minimum, you're developing, like, PC and console. Yeah. Like, whether that's PC and PlayStation or PC and Xbox. And you do compromise. And even though the gap between those is smaller than it would be between PC and PlayStation 2, hmm. although. I actually played Metal Gear Solid 2 on the PC. I still have my disc for Apparently PC that substance. Port was not very good. No, no, no. <laughs> I was a I was a broadcast uni student, and I could. It was cheaper for me to buy a DVD ROM drive for my PC and 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 play it there. And yeah, <laughs> I did the same for Metal Gear Solid One. I bought the PC port and played that on my PC. Oh wow! And that. The biggest thing with that is the the whole Psycho Mantis bit was ruined, unless because if you played on keyboard, that was the equivalent of playing with the controller in the second port, oh, which wow. is how I played it. Yeah, a lot of those tricks are kind of built around that hardware in specific ways. Yeah, yeah. And we're thinking about like that that hardware. That's like another thing where like oh wow, look at like what this thing. And you'd get it between consoles, even like if you're talking GameCube, Xbox, or. PS2, like, different games on different machines would, like, shine for different reasons. Yeah. And it's, I guess, from a... Considering how hard game development seems to have just increasingly become, it's maybe for the best on that end. But, man, like, each console used to really have its own aesthetic identity. Yeah. Absolutely agree. And I I, I miss it. Like, like that... Like, Dreamcast, PS2, GameCube, Xbox, that was the last generation that really had it. Because even though the 360 and PS3 were, were radically different, things a lot of the results stuff, looked. It's like the 360 version is a slightly smoother version of the PS3 version most of the time. Yeah, and then very occasionally the PS3 version would have an edge. I, I was going to say though, I, I was going to say uh, just to interject. Um, yes, but the 360 definitely had more games that were brown and various shades of brown. True. Yeah. I mean, that's just because I decided that that was cool as opposed to the hard Yeah, that was like yeah. brown and and washed out greys. Like, like, like everything is. Is it undersaturated? Yeah. Is the word undersaturated? Undersaturated, yeah. Yeah. Desaturated. Just, um, desaturated. Desaturated. Yeah. Um, but I just want to do just another sort of major generational shift for me is. Mm-hmm. Is actually was the jump between three from the original Xbox to to the 360. Um, Mm. because 
like even again looking at like late late era Xbox games, it's like ooh, you're really pushing like you've really reached the limits of what you can do with the with regular with regular Xbox games and this game is a few years into the generation but I think it's early on enough that like represented to me what the 360 could be possible for could be possible up, you know could, 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 the could potential do. of the system the potential of the system the banjo kazooie nuts and bolts oh yes that <clears throat> a colorful game banjo kazooie interesting but it was the first time i've sort of encountered that sort of emergent gameplay idea where just build something and it will work and just yeah. put things together and i'm like everything prior to that was like campaign campaign pe- uh, you know multiplayer team deathmatch shooty shooty sure um you've got big games like Lost Odyssey and nine hundred ninety nine nights or whatever it's called. I can't remember. That sounds um, right. Ninety nine nights or something like that. Yeah, and you know Project Gotham Racing. You've put like nuts and bolts. Banjo Kazooie was like, I have never. These are new concepts to gameplay. This is emergent gameplay that which I had before then never encountered before. Like when people talk about. Or, or, or like, wouldn't it be great if we could play Lego, but Lego in like a video game? This is it. I feel like there has to be this obscure PC game that Robbie's gonna like, come out with right here. <laughs> Ooh, uh, maybe. But the no. idea that you can, like, 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 you can build a, f- a build a helicopter out of random parts, and you're like, I'm gonna, and then the mission will. I remember this is one mission in, in Nuts and Bolts in which you had to like go into the volcano to pick something up and this and then you just like build a vehicle and I built like some random flying thing that could barely just take off the ground but it was just it just managed to coast in and I finished the objective and it was just like the most piece of shit machinery that you could make but <laughs> it, it worked and it's like, oh, I made time is little big planet on the PS3 side, I think. Yeah, but slightly later, I think. I think little big planet was first. Like it was 2007 ish. Might have been, but little big planet was slightly different. Yeah, little big planet was that was like okay, yeah. But okay, I'm like that for me was just something that represented, I guess, that shift in. The generation yeah. because I could not imagine that game in on the three on the original Xbox. Yeah, I feel like yeah. we're waiting for a meaningful version of that to happen again with all these. We just got like a bunch of quality of life stuff, which I guess is actually important. Oh yeah, but- absolutely. But you're right. Like, like the th- the four just sort of spilled into. Five, like the PlayStation yeah. Four, just spilled into five, and for most part, I felt like PlayStation Three kind of also spilled into four. Yeah, um, uh, because God, I still I, got playing Killzone. I had, had a definite oh, 
That yeah, was actually no, one of the, those YouTube video compression things coming uh, to light when I yeah. played the thing for real. I was like, huh, okay. I mean, absolutely there are moments like that, but like, because my, my transition experience between three to four was playing Destiny and, <laughs> and Destiny on PS3 was like, it's not bad. It's all right. But I bought the PS3 version of Destiny because they promised that you would be you would get the PS4 version for free after that. Like you can just digital purchase. I'm guessing. Like yeah, if you but but if you bought digitally on the PS3, you'll just get the PS4 when the PS4 comes around, and that's that's why I'm like, okay, I'm ready to make that transition. Um, but that's for me. It was like it just three rolled into four, and that in many ways I feel like four just rolled into five. There was no. There hasn't been yet like a marker that says this is yeah, I mean, um, something new. Mechanically, it doesn't feel like there were like this hardware is required to do this. It does feel like, and I, I may be watching too much Digital Foundry, like a big difference that happened that generation was oh, your open world games don't frequently tank below 20 frames per second anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they, yeah. they're not doing 60, but they're at least holding the 30 line. And there was definitely still, again, like, playing kills. Like, I would see games and look at them and go, whoa, okay. Like, that and, like, um, Infamous Second Son, which has just kind of been forgotten at this point. But looking at that for the first time, I was like, holy shit. Um, and I really have not had many of those. Although, like, when we got to the 360, like, a big twist in the... I guess that's, again, how, like, how much time has come before or since. And, like, just my childhood feels longer than it was because kids experience time slower. It's like, that's when the display started to matter. Like, between yeah. my Master System and Dreamcast, that shit could have all been plugged into the same TV. Yes. Um, but the first yeah. time I saw a 360, I think it was still running on an SD TV, and I wasn't that impressed. Um, so, like, the display really started to freaking matter a lot there. Yeah, because, um, like, at that time for me, I had my GameCube hooked up to my PC through a capture card over composite. And then when I went to the 360, um, my monitor had uh, component input. So I was on component. Um, well, that was for, relevant and re- relatively high-tech yeah. at that time. Yeah, and that was, um, yeah, I bought that monitor in like 2005. Um, and that was a, you know, 1080, uh, 1920 by 1200 panel and, you know, run the Xbox at 720 mm. with, with black bars. Um, yeah, and I do remember hooking up my 360 once over standard def. And yeah, that was, that was, no, that was just, that was a mess. That console was, was HD, and I presume the same for the PS3. Although, we get into, like, way the technology of LCD, and I guess at the time Plasma and now OLED works, and mm. I, don't, I don't fucking understand how it is that apparently the best CRT TVs can still look really good today, because they handle pixels differently or something. But it's very simple on, like, current modern displays, where... You have a certain number of pixels going one way, and a cert- there's basically a certain number of pixels, and if the resolution of the game matches those pixels, it's going to look nice and crisp. And yep. if it doesn't, then they're kind of going to blur and smear together. It's not going to line up in the grid properly. Yeah. You have and, to do a lot of post-processing. I mean, it's um, one of the things, like, running old so, hardware is like... And maybe this is what helped for me with the PS4, was, like, the PS4 actually hit that 1080p target most yeah. of the time. But I was playing a PS3 on a 1080p screen, which means it was most of the time those games were running at 720, maybe even a little bit lower. Kind yeah. of being smeared across a 1080p screen and like getting that image that fit the pixel count. Yeah. Probably also added to the effect of like, oh, the console the is pulled up with the. Yeah. 
I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought of that, but you've made a very strong point. Because I, I, it was it mostly obviously became obvious to me when I first got a gaming laptop, which had the full HD screen. And I was like, I can, I can, you know, PlayStation games run at seven twenty p. I'm gonna like get some extra frames. I'm just gonna turn that down. I think it must still look pretty good. And it was just a smeared mess, man. It was like. It's also why I yep. still think I'm happy with the idea that stuff like the Steam Deck OLED being, if well, I think it's 800, they've gone with a like slightly yeah. deeper, like better to have that and run it native than to like not quite hit this crazy high pixel count. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, really agree on that front. So yeah, upscaling is maybe going to be our next. Well, I guess DLSS is already maybe going to be the huge next game changer. The, yeah, because the, there's there's an era of PC gaming where a few games would. I remember, I actually remember it was MechWarrior Three ran ran in software, and it was like three twenty by two forty, but it drew the hard, but it scaled that up and drew the hard at higher res. And I wish more games would do that these days. Um, I think that would really help with even if the yeah. UI was drawn natively, and the and the I was the game itself. playing something recently where it's like the. Um, the HUD was not 4K, and I feel like you, everybody has a 4K TV now. Like you can at least at least have that stuff. Like get the little pristine. Yeah, and it's like absolutely missing a thing like that. Um, yeah, I think upscaling is going to be the next big battle because if they're going to start pushing 8K TVs, we don't have the hardware for that. Well, I mean, they're, I, I'm not so sure it's going to take off. 8K TVs have been around for a while now. And 4K was a slow pick up, slow pick up, but it eventually did pick up. It, it just doesn't mm. seem to be happening with 8K at all. Yeah, um, which is for the best, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, and while I do hate that I've walked into a um, Yodobashi camera and seen an 8K TV, me like, yep, that looks better. It's probably not better enough to justify the point of entry price, and if not enough people are justifying that point of entry price, then it's never going to go down. Yeah. And I would, yeah, rather spend... I would rather go crazy and buy, like, I know, a fucking 80, 90-inch 4K set than a 50-inch 8K one. Hmm. Like, just... Get, but for cinema or something, I'd be... I'm, we're getting way off topic now, but... Like, yeah. Like, imagine, like, it's like 8K digital screens for cinema complexes could, like, maybe, like, actually be a value proposition, although can they afford it in and of themselves as well? So. Yeah. I think that cost is a, is is the thing that comes up for everywhere, quite frankly, these days. Yeah, and I guess that's something we can use to wrap this up, is maybe the part of the reason why these kind of like... I mean, it's partly just the diminishing returns. Every year on like some social media feed, I will see the... This head is made with 60 polygons. This one is made with 600 polygons. This one is 6,000 polygons. And this is 60,000 polygons. And there is clear jump, clear jump, clear jump. Cannot tell a fucking difference. Yep. We've hit that point of diminishing returns, really. So um, the amount of effort... And the thing is, games are still a long way from looking completely convincing, but the amount of effort that needs to go into each small improvement and the amount of yeah. money... And we we clearly know that the industry is broken at the moment. Like, I would, the bottom is going to fall out of AAA. This is going to be a very strange generation. Last year yep. was a great year for games and a terrible year for everybody making them. And this year is following that trend. Um, although... Actually, no, the thing that's made this year great for games so far and going forward seems to be Asia. Hmm. Not seeing mm. a whole lot of, like, American games really holding up this year so far, but got Like a Dragon, 
great Tekken, great Dragon's Dogma. Looks great. South Korea, for some reason, now in console space, Stellar Blade. Cheesy as shit, but looks great. Um, they're holding it, but yeah, at, at some point, like, if you just can't afford to keep on pushing this, even if you have the hardware to do it, like, you can turn the effects on, but, like, then you can't afford the animators to do it. So, yeah, we may have hit this kind of, like, we can only go so much further just literally because of the manpower required, even if we keep on cranking up. How do we... Yeah. Like, I guess we'll just go around the horn like one more time. I just mentioned one game from any specific era that like made you just sit up and go, what? So Ken, do you have like a last thing you want to like give a, give a shout out to? Mm, circle back. I'm still thinking. All right, Rob. Okay. You have so a list. One th- <laughs> All right, I'm going to pick one. Um, and that's a game called, an arcade game called Steel Talons by Atari Games. I felt like um, every time it's... I went into an arcade, it was kind of like that effect. Because again... The yeah, the arcades were the pinnacle. Yeah. And this is like basically 91. Um, it's a 3D helicopter uh, flight game. And, you know, I don't remember ever seeing Afterburner outside of like the clip of it in Terminator 2. Um, Still an excellent um, movie. Yeah. Um, but this was like all, all like polygonal 3D. It was all flat shaded, but it was just at such an incredible frame rate for that era. And it's just like, you know, arcade games with stupid expensive hardware. And it was just like this leap for me because then I saw that before, you know, Virtual Racing and all the Sega Model 1 and Model 2 stuff. Virtual Racing is a... There's another screenshot one for me, actually. I remember like all this rave about it in the magazines I'd read off the standard news agents and be like, I don't get it. And then I saw it, I think, in a fish and chip shop and it was like, oh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So like that to me, like like, um, Steel Tunnels was that leap before the other leaps. And so the leap from that to Daytona and Sega Rally and Virtual Fighter and Virtual Racing wasn't as wasn't it was still an impressive leap, but it wasn't as like jaw dropping. So that was the game that just really brought that together for me. It was just like I remember seeing that in an arcade. I would love to see it in an arcade now and play it properly, but <laughs> I haven't seen one of it since since the nineties. Probably um, in a while. Yeah. Yeah. In my case, I'm going to have to go to, like the most quintessential answer for me and say the first time I opened an issue of Hyper and they just had a page that was dedicated to screenshots of Shenmue which nobody had really heard of outside of Japan at that point and just it was one of those what like what the actual F is this like it looks just like a little bit stylized but like just completely convincing and like going from looking at screenshots of PS1 games to this and I I feel like these images are maybe actually higher resolution than the Dreamcast is actually rendering it's very possible there was like some cheeky PR stuff going on there but I, I spent probably like totally like a couple of hours just over time just just staring at this fucking page going Mm. like look at this fucking thing like it's like is this actually a game that's going to come out (laughs) Um, and it was and it did and I loved it and a few other people loved it but for the most expensive game of all time for its time maybe not not as many as Sega really needed it to and then (laughs) Shenmue 3 came out and it looked fine but it was by nowhere close to being like this standard bearer of the ps4 hardware mm. all right ken do you actually have anything or am i just gonna like make up an answer for you and then you're gonna have to stick your name onto it um well <clears throat> i was gonna go i was gonna go similar to rob in terms of arcade games and i remember um <clears throat> virtual fighter 3 yeah man that jump from two to three and all the talk around the board, um, the Model, Model 3. 3, 
and how it was like co-developed with oh my god all like the space agency NASA helping out Hollywood's triple effect shit going on this is actually Terminator I believe I think that was Nintendo actually with the Terminator shit yeah because N64 was SGI yeah the urban legends which are always seated in a little bit of truth around some 3D hardware but it's definitely a thing in the 90s yeah so it was that and also um so virtual fighter 3 in the arcade seeing that in person like that jump from two to three it's massive yeah but i think also sort of but more related to consoles is actually marvel versus capcom 2 like get up for the dreamcast on both those answers in a roundabout way yeah <laughs> but but i think that one was like oh the backgrounds in that co- wild yeah there was this uh, because there was a specific moment where you go to arcades to play like the super powerful games and then console ports were sort of like mm, kind of there but not really it's like it's the poor cousin but i think like <laughs> the um the mvc you know marvel vs. capcom 2 on the dreamcast was like oh well that was this is that was arcade. the machine that started changing that yeah, the, the, the fact that you now had an arcade-level machine in your home is just, yes. for me, uh, uh, is, is just a fundamental shift away from, and I think probably, like, that was the first... So um, they did it to themselves. Yeah, but the first proper sign that, you know, yeah, maybe arcades are not required anymore. If you like, dig into it, it, which for some random reason I did a little while ago, the Model 3 hardware is still definitely more powerful than Dreamcast overall. But it, the difference so much of the time was by the time you went from the arcade to home, like any advantages the arcade had was not meaningful enough to have stuck into your mind to make you think it looked any worse. Yeah. So, so that was for me like that fundamental shift that arcade you can now bring. I remember reading like Electronic Gaming Monthly talking about like arcades in your home, like this is a <laughs> reality that has finally come to pass. Um, and and I think both those games, Virtual Fighter Three and uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Two. Interesting choices. I guess I already shout out Soul Calibur. That was the big, yeah, easy that famously looked notably better. Yeah, because that was like the the arcade one was running on the Namco board that was basically PlayStation hardware. It was like an up, it was a supercharged PlayStation, up, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So the, the and then same again, Tekken Tag on PS2. Man, I do miss that well factor. Yeah. Something I will always have to admit to myself is like I still like Razzle Dazzle. Like I've played some pretty good games on PS5, but I would love to turn it on and just have a war moment. I guess I'm kind of yep. hoping that maybe Death Stranding 2 will manage it, because that trailer was pretty fucking wild. Oh, I have to catch up on that one. <laughs> it was a very good Jima trailer. <laughs> I just put it like, it's maybe the most... Ex- it's the most Kojima trailer in a while, though it's... I wouldn't expect anything less. Yeah, but I mean, even among the like all of the Kojima trailers, this one's pretty high up there in the Kojima scale. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> And probably some people hated it and have no interest in this game, but it was great. Anyway, yeah, we should probably wrap this up. We've been going on for a little while now. Sounds um, like a plan. Yes, Rob, you have you have some stuff coming up, clearly. You're like Yeah, so I've got a review. Um, it's a game called Quomp 2. Um, 
the embargo ends about a week from when we're recording this, and my plan is to have the review and maybe a plays video up for it. Then we'll see how we go, um, but then hopefully have the review out for it. Um, interesting game. I won't say much more than that. Um, you can check that out on the on the main player two website. And um, where can we follow I'll, you? Uh, if you want to follow me on Blue Sky, because now that's open for everyone. Yeah. Um, that's boy, just it seems like cap- the bots have rolled in, but. Yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of weirdness in the in the Discover feed. Um, but yeah, it's just Robcap. If you find me there, I'm, the P two account will tag me with any any stuff I post, any stuff I write up. Yeah, follow so. Player Two. Go follow Player yeah, Two. Yeah, what is it? Is it? I think it's Player Two AU. I have to. Um, uh, it's, you'll be able to tell with the logo. I don't think it's big enough to really get any fake accounts. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't remember if it had it or not. Um, but yeah, go, go follow P, go follow P two as well and check all the all the cool stuff the the crew is doing. Um, yes, excellent, Ken. Uh, I've got a couple of uh, plays videos that's queued up on YouTube on the on our YouTube channel. So waiting for that to go live. They're all Steam Next Fest demos. Uh, you can find me at Pixel Hunt on both Blue Sky and Twitter. Excellent, I. Actually, I don't have much. Com- I may actually. We'll see. I may decide on a whim, like very quickly, to get something up, or I may not. But for now, I'm going to tentatively say I'm just rolling with editing these podcasts, which you know can actually take some time. I am at Pretend Beard on the Blue Skies, and I've also verified that yeah, Player Two is Player Two AU at Blue Sky, and for some reason, Blue Sky is still advertising at me that I have invite codes available to give to people. So if you yeah. want to feel special. <laughs> Yeah, there was I can, nothing. I can invite you. You can feel like you got a. You, you can feel like you got a little ticket, even though anybody can walk in the door now. Yeah. <laughs> just like we'll just we'll make believe. We'll like put a fake bouncer there, like just a cardboard cutout, and you can like just put it in the slot. We'll just have red paper instead of the red carpet. Yeah. And the and the and the rope. It won't be. It won't be fancy. It'll just be like you know straws. Cheap. Yeah. Straws, like, stuck them into each other. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, uh, okay, yeah.